We will read from Acts 2, 36 through 41. Hear now the word of the Lord. Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain, Peter preached, that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Here now the reading of God's most holy word. This is a big question, who's to be baptized? And there are many within the Reformed tradition who would say that the infants of those who profess faith, they are to be baptized. They consider their children to be baptized baptized into the covenant, covenant children, baptized into Christ somehow. Uh, And uh, it is understandable why people have gone in this direction. Uh, Think of what would have led to this sort of uh, tradition. If we go way back into the days, even of the very early church, we do find that this is a very early practice. It began to develop within the church even in the second century A.D. Uh, But it's it's interesting to, uh, to see why it is that that practice developed in the early church. And as you know, we live in a very blessed time. We live in a time where infant mortality rates are are actually quite low. Uh, But there have been times uh, throughout history where infant mortality rates were very, very high. Um, It was very common for uh, little ones to pass uh, just after being born or even as small children. And what we see is that parents being understandably and deeply concerned about the salvation of their children, they began to ask, how can I know that this little one will will be saved? And so this custom developed to apply baptism to children uh, who were perhaps in danger of death. And this tradition did uh, develop within uh, the church. In fact, there were other times where this custom developed, uh, that is the custom to apply baptism to people very, very late in life when they were on their deathbed. And here is the theological error that led to that. Uh, people believe that if you sinned willingly and knowingly after baptism was applied, then you stood guilty before God. So we see that theological errors really contributed to Uh, This air of pushing baptism both very early and to very late in life. It's the misunderstanding that baptism actually washes away sin, therefore brings salvation to these little ones. And it's the misunderstanding that baptism actually washes away sin and there can be guilt before God afterwards, which push baptism to the very end of life in some situations. Are you following with me here? And what I'm trying to say to you is that I think this tradition developed within the church as an emotional response to the difficulties of life and to the threat of death. Also mixed in with it were other misunderstandings too. But at any rate, baptism, the baptism of infants, did exist as a tradition within the church at the time of the Protestant Reformation. And many Reformed people who did marvelous things for the truth of the gospel, for the rescue of the gospel out of, out of darkness, did marvelous things for 
the doctor of the justification of faith alone, etc. Men that we esteem very highly, they did not reform the church far enough in our opinion. But they maintained this tradition of applying baptism, which is the sign of the new covenant, the covenant of grace, to their children. It would be our view that that is an error. Uh, the church should be reformed further, and we ought to apply baptism only to those who profess faith in Christ, for this is what the Scriptures teach clearly in the New Testament. Uh, this is what our covenant theology leads us to also, and when we consider the sign of, the, of baptism, what it signifies, it's fitting to apply it only to those of whom these signs are true. It is a very rapid introduction uh, to this question. Uh, but it is an important question, and it's a difficult one for Reformed Baptists in some ways, because how many of you have come to your Reformed Baptist convictions by reading some of these great Reformed authors who were Paedo-Baptists? I bet you if I asked you to raise your hand, it would be most of you in this room. We esteem these men highly, and yet we think that they have erred in this regard. Our catechism obviously differs from the Westminster Shorter Catechism here at this point, uh, quite significantly. Uh, here we ask, who is to be baptized? And I would ask you to consider a few things, and I've already mentioned them in brief and in passing. What does baptism signify? What is it a symbol of? We say, well, it signifies the washing away of sin. It signifies the death of the old self. We've been crucified with Christ. And it signifies our new life in Christ. We've been united to Him in this way, in His death and resurrection. And baptism is a symbol of all of that. Washing away of sins, death to the old self, new life in Christ. And if it is a symbol of those things, then who should baptism be administered to? Well, it is to those who have experienced these realities inwardly. That is to say, it is those who have faith in Christ and who have made a credible profession. What do we say in baptism? What do we say to those who are witnessing and to God? Well, in brief, we say Jesus is Lord. We are claiming to have experienced these realities that are here signified inwardly. We've received them by faith, and we are claiming to have Jesus as Lord. And, and here in the waters of baptism, we are saying, I, I'm a child of God. So to whom should baptism be administered? Well, to those who have done this, who have heard the gospel, who've responded in faith, and who have Jesus as Lord. Can an infant do this? We say clearly no. Um, and what does God say to us in baptism? What is His word to us? He puts His name on us. This is why we are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God puts His name on us. God says to us, you are washed. God says to us, you have new life. Uh, the sacrament speaks to us in this way, and God has designed it to do this very thing. So again, who should be baptized? Well, it is those of whom this is in fact true. What does the New Testament teach? regarding who should be baptized? Uh, that's an important question. And if we pour through the pages of, of the New Testament, uh, we will find that in every example it is those who have turned from their sins and who have placed their faith in uh, Jesus Christ who are then baptized. There are some texts that speak of entire households being baptized, and our Pado-Baptist brothers and sisters love to point to those texts to say, See, Dad came to faith and the whole household was baptized. They took them all. But the great assumption is that uh, there were infants in that household. There were young children who were under the age of understanding. That is an assumption that's read into the text. The text nowhere says that. In fact, the same passages speak of the entire household also 
uh, responding uh, to, to, to the gospel, hearing it and being, and being baptized. So I think a great deal is read into those texts where household baptisms are uh, mentioned. In fact, I think uh, God brought salvation to that whole house because He got, brought the gospel there and the Holy Spirit regenerated everyone within it by His grace. And so all were baptized. And then I might ask, what does the Old Testament say about who should be baptized? Well, nothing explicit, because we know that baptism is a sign of the New Covenant. Uh, so really nothing is said about baptism explicitly in the Old Testament, only in, in the New. But the Old Testament does suggest that the New Covenant, which would eventually come when the Messiah appeared, that it would be pure, that it would be made up of those who Believe and, and only those who believe. This new covenant would consist not of a mixed people, some who had faith and some who did not, but all would believe, all would know the Lord. And so, in fact, what the Old Testament says to us regarding the new covenant that was coming, it actually points in this direction uh, for the, the sign of this covenant, the new covenant, uh, being applied only to those who have the faith of Abraham and not necessarily to any of his physical descendants. A physical descent will no longer matter in this new covenant. That is the direction that the Old Testament points us in. Uh, our Pado baptist brothers and sisters will argue for their practice of infant baptism in this way. They will say, well, under the Old Covenant, circumcision, the sign of the covenant, was given to infants. Uh, therefore, it must also be true that under the New Covenant, the sign of that covenant, baptism, is to be applied to infants too. But in fact, that argument does not stand. Uh, yes, it is true, we are to make some connection between circumcision and baptism. What do they share in common? They are both signs of their respective covenants, the old and the new. So they share that much in common. But there are some very significant differences between the old covenant and the new, and I've already mentioned them. The old covenant was made with a group of people, an ethnic group of people, the descendants of Abraham. And within that group, there were believers and there were non-believers. But to be born to Abraham meant you were in. Therefore, it was fitting for the sign of the covenant to be given to all of the male descendants of Abraham, according to this command of God. But here is the great difference with the new covenant. It's not about physical descent. It doesn't matter who your daddy is. In other words, it doesn't matter at all. It could be that your heritage is this. Nothing but unbelief for generations. But if you believe upon Christ as presented in the gospel, you are in. You are a child of God. You are a partaker of this new covenant. And it is in fact true that sometimes even our children, uh, the children of believers, grow up not to believe. And it saddens our heart when they do, when they take this route. But nevertheless, the question is this. To whom should baptism be administered? Not to our children, because physical descent does not matter anymore. Ethnicity does not matter anymore. This is the new covenant. What matters is faith in Christ. And to have faith in Christ, you must hear the gospel. You must understand it. You must make what we call a credible profession of faith. Uh, that is what is being taught here. Um, what about the infants? Of those who profess faith, are, are they to be baptized? The answer is no. Because there is neither command nor example in the Holy Scriptures, you can't find it anywhere, nor certain consequence from them to baptize such. There's not even certain consequence from the Scriptures. The Pado baptist would say there's, there's this necessary consequence. Circumcision of the old, baptism in the new, new 
infant, infant, necessary consequence. We say, no, it doesn't fit. It does not land. And so we say, baptism is to be administered to all those who actually profess repentance towards God, faith in and obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, faith and repentance go hand in hand, don't they? Hand in glove, rather. They go together. True faith always will involve repentance. And to have faith in Christ, we must turn from our sin and to Him. Notice here, obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that said? Well, I think this is a part of what it means to make a credible profession of faith. How do we discern if someone has made a credible profession of faith? I mean, who's to say? You know, Well, we're to do our very best, of course. Uh, we're to listen to the profession of faith that people make, and we're to... We're to ask some important questions. What do you understand the gospel to be? What do you understand to be true about God and man and sin and salvation and eternity? What do you understand to be true about your state prior to Christ and now that you're in Christ? What do you think? You know, we, we need to make sure that people have a, a real and true and proper understanding of, of the scriptures and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But what does true and lively faith, a real faith, what does it always produce? In us, brothers and sisters, true repentance and it bears fruit. It bears fruit. No one is perfect, of course, but there's to be fruit. And I think this is one of the things that we must seek to discern in others uh, in the church when they make a profession of faith and when we're wrestling with the question, should the sign of the covenant be applied to this one? Should the name of God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be placed upon them? We need to be sure that their profession of faith is true to the best of our ability. We're, we're flawed. We can't see the minds and hearts of, of, of men, of course. But if the person is claiming to be in Christ, to have faith, and they're living in sin and in an unrepentant way, then baptism should not be applied to that one. For they are, for they are undermining their profession of faith with their disobedience. So it's to be applied to those who have repented, who have faith in Christ, in obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ, and then our catechism adds this line, and to none other. It's really that simple. And to none other. You know, this question has very big implications and, and, and ramifications. If we apply the sign of the covenant to infants, some of them will um, grow up to have faith, thanks be to God. Some of them will not. But by applying the sign of the covenant to them as infants, and by saying that they are covenant children from infancy because they are born to believing parents, by, by taking that approach, I want for you to understand this. We make the new covenant, the covenant of grace, to be breakable. Are you following me? We're making the new covenant, the covenant of grace, to be breakable. You can be a part of it genuinely, and then not a part of it through unbelief. But the scriptures point in, in, in a different direction altogether. Is the covenant of grace breakable, brothers and sisters? Can you be truly in and then all of a sudden out because of your disobedience or your unbelief? You say, no. How could the covenant of grace be breakable? It cannot. Because it's all been earned for us and freely given by Christ. And so, in fact, I, I think... This is not just an insignificant difference of opinion. The ramifications are, are very big. Uh, we need to be careful, brothers and sisters, to do what the Scriptures say with the sign of the New Covenant. And that is to give it to those who believe 
and to none other. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for baptism and for what it signifies. Help us as a church to be faithful to apply it to those who make this credible profession of faith. We need wisdom, Lord. On the one hand, we, we cannot be reckless with the sign of the covenant and to give it to, to anyone and everyone. We know this. And on the other hand, neither can we be too strict and critical in our approach. Father, help us uh, to see where there is a credible profession of faith and to, and to be charitable and kind and to give this wonderful gift uh, which you have provided for your church to those who believe in Jesus. We thank you for what is signified in it. Uh, we thank you for what those baptized say to you, God, and to the world, and what you say to us. It is a great encouragement to us. Uh, Father, we thank you that this promise this gospel promise is for us, it is for our children, it is even for all who are far off to the ends of the earth, it is for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. We thank you for this free offer of the gospel and for the fact that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, are still bringing men and women to repentance. God, we long to apply baptism to brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we pray that you would give us this gift, the blessing of baptizing many in the decades to come. We pray that you would do this, Father, for our own children and even for those who are afar off from us now. Lord, have mercy and show us this kindness, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.